Well, this morning I'd like to begin by sharing three stories about Jesus as a way to introduce what we're going to talk about today. And the first one is in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I know you're not going to anyway. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria and he finds himself at a well with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And he asks the woman for water and they get into a little bit of a confrontation because she's a Samaritan and he is a Jewish man. And that is just something you didn't do. There was racial, social, and religious issues with that of the two of them talking. And after they interact for a little bit, Jesus does this weird little thing where he goes, after he's done talking, he goes, why don't you go grab your husband? And she goes, oh, I don't have a husband. And he goes, that's right. In fact, you've had five husbands and the person you're with now isn't even your husband. And she does this interesting thing. She repeats back to him. She, well, she says back to him. She goes, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. I can see that you are a prophet. And what she's saying there is, I can see that you are a seer. You can see into people's lives without any knowledge or background. It's not like he had a background knowledge about this woman. He just met her. And then the story fast forwards. He begins to tell her about life that can come from him, the savior of the world. And she goes, this is amazing. So she runs back into town and she tells everyone in the town, hey, something is happening. This man told me everything that I've ever done in my life. You need to come hear what he has to say. So they all come running out. They hear and they were amazed by him. And they weren't just amazed because he was able to tell about the stories about the woman that he didn't know. He was able to do other miraculous things with them. And it says that the town believed in his testimony. That the town who had no idea who Jesus was or what God was doing in terms of kingdom through Jesus immediately changed because he did something with power in that moment. Another story of Jesus. There's a man by the name of Jairus. And he comes and he says, Jesus, I need you to come heal my daughter. She's dying. And so he goes, sure, no problem. And then he stays two more days where he's at. And then when he's on his way, there is a, uh, there is a sick woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And he stops and heals her and has a conversation with her. And you can imagine Jairus is very upset. He's like, my daughter is dying. You have to come help her. She's dying now. Like, like can you imagine like the, the feeling? I'd be like, hey, back off, lady. I had him first. Get in line. But, you know, Jai doesn't do that as far as we know. And so then while he's leaving, healing that other woman, uh, one of the people from his household comes and says, Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. The woman's already dead. The girl's already dead. And Jesus goes, no, let's go anyway. So they go anyway, and he tells a group of people who had been with the dead girl for some time, he goes, don't worry, she's just asleep. They all start laughing at him, and he goes, everyone out of the room. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in a very short prayer, he says, uh, little girl, get up. And she comes back to life. She comes back to life. And you read on that the household of Jairus and the people around were amazed and they believed in the testimony of Jesus. Third story, there's Zacchaeus. Maybe you grew up uh, reading uh, stories about Zacchaeus. Apparently he was a short man, a little man, and he was a tax collector. And he wasn't, uh, tax collectors weren't people that people in Jerusalem really liked all that much because he would do bad things and steal money from people. And you read the story, 
that Jesus is walking and he sees Zacchaeus who had climbed a tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus, in one sentence, he goes, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. From everything that we could tell, Jesus didn't know who Zacchaeus was. He supernaturally knew the name of this man, called him out, and he said, I'm going to honor you by coming to your house today for lunch. And what we learn about Jesus is that Jesus didn't know everything all the time when he was on earth. Like, think about the story when there was a demonized child. He asked someone, how long has this condition been going on with this person? So he only knew the information that he knew. He had limited information. And what we see in this moment is that Jesus is operating under the unction and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And he has conversation with him, and he has relationship with him, and Zacchaeus completely turns his life around. He says, I'm going to give over half of my wealth back. I need to make this right. Jesus, I follow you now. And I I just got to imagine, imagine seeing someone like Jesus in a crowd calling you out by name. What does that do for you? It changes you. There's power in that. Now, what do all three of these stories have in common? All three of these stories have a dynamic of supernatural power. That in the moment, Jesus demonstrates supernatural power that bypasses what we would understand rationally. There is a transrational moment that takes place. Now, here's an interesting fact. When you read stories in the Bible throughout the entire New Testament, it's impossible to find a single case of somebody coming into faith with Jesus that didn't involve a power encounter. You can look it up. Look through the whole New Testament. If you don't believe me, you can't find anyone that goes, I'm not following Jesus and now I am following Jesus without some sort of demonstration of power. Now, let me like bring this down to where we are. How many of you have ever wanted to share your life with Jesus with someone else? You don't have to raise your hand because this is a slightly embarrassing question, so I'll start it again. But if you want to raise your hand and be proud, uh, you can. How many of you have ever wanted to share life with Jesus with somebody, but you didn't feel like you had the right words? Maybe you felt like you didn't have the right things to say. Maybe they were going to ask the very difficult question, and you're like, man, this person really needs an encounter with God but I don't know if I know what to say. Or maybe you do say something and you're like, you know, you dribble it out and they go, yeah, but I don't know if I think of what I think about that. For many of us, that is a common experience. Many of us, we have no idea how to share our faith and we certainly don't know how to share faith in the way that Jesus shared faith. But why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Well, Much of the American evangelistic model is very programmatic. When I say evangelism, it means that we share faith. Much of what we do is programmatic. We are operating in more of a secular dynamic. And it's uh, programmed, it's calculated, it's rational. And our thought is, as long as we say all the right things in the right order, then we've done our job to communicate Jesus to somebody else, and our job is done. We've achieved our goal. Another reason is that the world is increasingly divisive. I don't even know if I have to explain this point. (laughs) Like, we are living in really divisive times. Bill Bishop, he's a uh, sociologist, has studied something called the big sort. And the big sort is that more and more in the United States, 
people are living in geographical enclaves, which means that more and more uh, these enclaves are driven by social, uh, economic, they're driven by religion, they're driven by uh, how you vote. More and more, when you go to a specific part of a city or a suburb, you will find that more and more there's a rise in monocultural behavior, that most people will vote the same way. They'll think about children the same way. They'll think about money the same way. And so what you have is an increasing geographical divisiveness that's taking place. And so it's not easy to share Jesus with people because the people that live down the way are very different than you. And if you find yourself a follower of Jesus and you live in West Los Angeles, you recognize that your personal faith is at odds with a lot of the things in the culture. A lot of things that we hear about in the culture or what people believe is different than what Jesus calls us to. So you could be at odds with the culture. The third thing is that people don't always have agreement on what is true and what is not true. It's not always clear what's rational and makes sense to you might not always make sense to other people. Like, let me give you an illustration. If I was to go around this room and I was to survey you and I was to ask you, what does salvation mean in terms of the Bible? If I go, what does salvation mean to you? If I go around the room, I, among people that are willing to show up at 10 a.m. to a church service outdoors in the field of dreams, you're going to find that you're going to have a number of people that have very radically different answers. Now, what if I went, said to somebody, uh, I went up to someone on the street and I said that have no faith background or maybe you went up to them and you said, you know, they're not sure if they believe in God. Maybe they're not uh, atheists, but they're agnostic or whatever it is. And you go up to them and you say, the Bible says that you must believe in Jesus if you want to be saved from your sin. So you go up to someone on the street. What do you think? What do you th how do you think that's going to go for you? They're going to be like, well, what is, what is, what is the Bible? Like, and who says that's authoritative? And how do you know what is sin? You know, you're not going to have any agreement on what's true or what's not true. And what the truth is that you feel you have, someone like I say, you know what, that's good for you as long as that helps you out, that's good for you, but that's maybe not something. So it becomes very hard to explain Jesus to people that don't have common ground with you, that maybe don't believe or have the same worldview assumptions with you. And the last reason it's difficult to share faith in the modern world is, oh, I mentioned this, there's increasing homogeneity, uh, which makes cross-cultural sharing of God's word or life with Jesus very difficult. For example, I am a white male, no doubt about it, uh, and I am a white male and I am in Santa Monica, but I was raised in the Midwest. I am from a particular social location. I am not what I am not, and I am what I am. And what we're finding increasingly is that if I was to go to a particular neighborhood, or if I was to go to a different part of Southern California, or a different region of the US, just my sheer this is gonna create barriers between someone being willing to receive the gospel from me. They may go, you might be saying what you're saying is true, but because of the virtue of who you are, your identity, it may actually create a barrier for them to hear and understand. And so if I was to wander into a different neighborhood, different than beautiful Santa Monica, California, people are already hesitant and unwilling and suspect and wondering if they should believe me. And, um, you know, uh, this has happened in global Christianity. Missionaries have gone to places like sub-Saharan Africa 
to share Jesus with people. And with them, they would bring medicine and they would bring a rational approach to sharing Jesus. And what they would find is the tribes people would be very grateful for the medicine. They'd be very grateful for the love and attention that, there was, ha- that was happening uh, as, the, as these folks would come in. But when it came to dealing with spiritual issues, the people, the local people still would go to the local shaman to take care of problems, the real problems that existed in the community. Because these Christians that had come in uh, cross-culturally had failed to recognize that they needed to operate in power. They were not understanding that they had to have power to engage the evil forces of the world that could actually help these people who were in need. And what uh, folks like Charles Kraft uh, and Peter Wagner have found is that as these Christians who would go into these sub-Saharan cultures would learn to operate within power, in God's power and under his unction and under his authority, they were able to address the deeper issues that were taking place in some of these villages. And once those deeper spiritual issues were taken care of, the people were like, well, tell us about this Jesus. So there is something about being able to communicate with power that's important. And the point is this, many of us here, you feel the tension. You understand that many of us are missing the mark when it comes to sharing our love and life with Jesus with other people. I cannot tell you how much Jesus has changed my life because we don't have time. But I could talk forever about it. And some of you could too. He's done something deep in my soul that has changed me and has changed the lives around me. My life is better because of what Jesus has done and I love him. But there's there's a hard thing there between trying to understand what's happened in the subterranean levels of my life and how I actually communicate that to someone that does not know Jesus, that is an issue and that is difficult. And so what we have to understand here is that many times we're looking at a rational scale by which people come to faith. It becomes intelligible, then credible, then plausible, and then eventually someone gives their life to Jesus. But what we're missing, what many of us are missing, myself included, is something called the power scale. Power scale doesn't operate the same way as a rational scale. The power scale is when God, by his spirit, penetrates the inner heart of a person. And because he comes in power, he bypasses their biases. He bypasses the issues of social location and intelligibility and the ability to articulate a rational argument. Let me give you an illustration. Um, We started this church in 2018, it was a lot of fun. Uh, shut it down for a bunch of months, now we're back, right? You guys know the story, I don't want to do it again. But over the course of the last three to four years, uh, people will wander into our service and will be like, why did you come to this? Why did you come to this one? And, and they don't know why. And they'll sit there and then they will uh, experience And during the worship, you'll see them and you'll look over and you'll be like, they're, oh, oh God, they're crying. They're crying, or you, maybe you have brought a friend, and you brought them, brought this person to the service, and they're sitting there and they're listening to the worship, and they don't know the words, and feel a little embarrassed to, to uh, sing songs in a field. But you notice that there's an emotional response happening. What is that? What is that? A lot of times, if you ask them about it, they're like, "I don't know. I was just overwhelmed. 
I was overwhelmed with something. I mean, there's a lot of amazing concerts that you can go to in the world right now where you can have an emotional experience. I don't, as, as great as, I love Well Collective, uh, as great as our worship team is, I wouldn't rank this at the top of like emotional experiences. Sunday morning, you're like, what is this? And, but when that's happening, like when you see people crying, you're like, what is that? What that is, is that is, that is the Holy Spirit touching someone, doing something in their heart that they didn't expect. They, they didn't expect and God's doing something. Um, let me tell you, it's the supernatural line that's being thrown out. Let me tell you a story about Patrick, uh, the great one, Patrick Vukovic. Um, um, he, was, uh, he was at something, he was at a service, and like there's just worship happening. And... Um, and so uh, he gets this uh, word of knowledge that uh, there's someone struggling with cystic fibrosis and that he wanted to pray for them. Well, the funny thing about getting that word is that Patrick wasn't sure that was a thing. He, he wasn't sure that he knew what cystic fibrosis was. So automatically, it's not something that he knew about. He's like, so he had to go to a, a nurse who was in the room. And he's like, is cystic fibrosis a thing? And she's like, it is a thing. He's like, okay, that's my first test. I'm going to go ahead and test this out. So what he does, he gets up, he hops on the mic, and he asks, is there anyone here who's struggling with cystic fibrosis? And a woman raises her hand. And this woman who raises her hand is from a Hindu background. And so they grab her. Uh, and they bring her off to the side of wherever they're at, and they pray for her. And in the moment, she experiences the power of God. And the power of God comes over her body in a tangible way, and they feel she feels something, so they continue to pray. And from that moment, after that, there were some of the symptoms she was experiencing from the cystic fibrosis immediately went away. But moreover, later on in the week, she went and saw a doctor, and the doctor says, we can't explain what this is. You still have it, but functionally, you're not experiencing the pain or the issues anymore. Functionally, you're better. Functionally, you're better from the cystic fibrosis. Uh, and he had mentioned in that time with, the, with this woman that a lot of the issues that she was experienced were healed. The symptoms were gone. And her life had now changed because of the prayer that took place that Patrick, uh, that Patrick uh, prayed with her with those other people. Now, the key of this is that after that, this woman with a Hindu background, they believe in thousands of different gods, comes back to the friend who had brought her to this service, and the friend is able to share life with Jesus with her. That the gospel moved forward and bypassed her biases because of the power she experienced. Are you hearing me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And when you're operating in the power of the Spirit, you're able to have insight into issues that maybe you didn't know on your own. You're able, I mean, if, like the pain that someone is experiencing, the sins of a person's heart, it doesn't matter if the person is hardened to God. It doesn't even matter if the person believes in God because God believes in them. And sometimes God wants to do something. And when you're operating in the power of the spirit and when you pray for someone and they get healed, it doesn't matter if they have a lot of biases about God, if they really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, because they go, whoa, something has happened here. I can't explain it, but something is happening here. And you can get, if you can get to the issues of the heart, not by your own strength, but by the power of the spirit, that can do more to help someone into life with Jesus 
than you with your rational arguments, with your clear biblical explanations, with your knowing of scripture, which is all great. I love all that stuff, but you can do more. And so um, the point is this, the point is this, is that God, God invites you and me to operate in power. In particular, he invites us to operate in his power and his presence as we share life with Jesus with other people. That you, you, not just the pastors or like people that have very famous rock star churches with lasers, not just those kinds of, not laser guns, but like lasers and smoke machines, like not just like popular like people that give their life to this, that God has made available to us the power of his spirit that we could lean into that to show the love of Jesus to other people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your social location is. And the New Testament shows us that Jesus did this and then he invited the disciples to do this and the disciples did this. And now all the way up to today, we have the opportunity to do this too. So how do we do this? Well, Lupita read some verses and this is the key. And I just want to talk about these verses. And this is basically an introduction into next week. We're going to dive way deeper into this next week. But look what it says. It says in verse 19 of John 5, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Now, when I first looked at this verse through the lens of power and presence, it really opened up something for me. Because if Jesus, who's supposed to be the son of God, is only doing what he senses his father in heaven is doing, what chance do I have to do any good unless I'm tapped into the same power? You get the impression that Jesus, in order to be fully human, limited what he knew. He limited his power and he became reliant through trust and obedience in God the Father to reveal to him his next move. So he didn't just go and do everything that he wanted. You could even like read the stories of Jesus. What you'll see, sometimes... He would go into a town with lots of sick people, people who were not well, and what would he do? He'd heal one person and then he'd move to the next town. What's up with that? The point is, is that he was only doing what he saw the Father doing. He would only join up with what he saw God was up to. And if it's true for Jesus, how much more is it true for you and me? It should be true, like it should be a convicting moment where we have to say, you know what, maybe I, I just need to look and see what God is up to and join him in his work. But also, I think that this should come as a relief. All the things, all the evangelical and spiritual pressure that has been put on you by lots of people, I relieve that now in the name of Jesus and I say to you, all you have to do is figure out what God the Father is up to and then you join him in his work. This is why Jesus can say things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He goes, following me is easy because all you have to do is learn to keep in step with my spirit, keep in step with what I'm doing with a person in a moment. That's all you need to do 
to share life with Jesus with other people. Shouldn't this come as a relief to us? Shouldn't this relieve that stress? Like, shouldn't I, you know, person at work's having a hard time. Well, you know, have you ever heard of the Romans Road? And they're like, well, what is that? And you're like, oh, never mind. And um, what if, what if there was a way for us to hear from God, to grow in our understanding of recognizing his voice, and then we just do that? Let's just do that. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I'm here to tell you, that's what we're aiming at. I feel like there's been times in my life where this has happened more. I feel like I've had words and words of knowledge and things that have done that I could not have planned or imagined that have led to people that have led to things where people uh, enter into life with Jesus. Lately, the thing I've been doing is like, you know, if I want to recognize and understand God's voice and join the Father in his work, I've been asking myself, how am I carving out the time to hear from him? Am I just like running through my day? Yeah, he can work that way. But the thing that I've been doing is every morning before I start my work day, before I start executing like the three Enneagram that I am, I have been uh, going on a walk down Montana Avenue. And this is a prayer time, and uh, sometimes I run into people, sometimes I don't. And I'm walking down Montana Avenue, and I'm walking fast, and sometimes I'm listening to Christian music, and sometimes I'm um, uh, listening to country music. Uh, which I don't know why I got to get off that. Uh, the other day, I was like, uh, <laughs> and the other day I was listening to you two, and you know that's always like a you know in betweener kind of, and um, you know you know, and so just you know I'm not making and and what am I doing in there? Am I trying to psych myself up into an emotional moment where God might speak to me? I'm not. I'm not because everything I see from the Bible makes it clear. That God shows up and tells us things because he wants to. That God shows up in power because he wants to. I don't have to create the perfect environment in order for me to encounter the living God on these walks. So with low bar, like no pressure, and without me rattling off how much I want to win a million dollars in the lottery to God, like all the things I think I need from God, I just kind of walk and wait. And without a doubt, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about the playoffs, I'm thinking about uh, who's going to win, the Eagles or the Buccaneers. Uh, Today, uh, shout goes out uh, to to my boy, Michael Bear. Uh, Hoping the Eagles win. Go Philly. Yeah, yeah, I saw a lot of people don't care for Tom Brady. So, so, but anyway, I'm just talking, and then you have these cross thoughts, and not like crosses in the cross of Jesus Christ, but like cross thoughts in terms of like, you're thinking one thing, but the uh, the grain of thinking, it goes against the grain of what you're thinking. And I go, well, that's interesting. I never thought to reach out to that person I haven't reached out to in six months. Why would I? And, I go, and so I go, why would I think that? And I go, anytime there's a thought like that on this walk, I just write it down in my notes on my phone. And I go, Lord, I commit to follow up with that. Why? Just to see if I can grow in understanding and hearing God's voice. So I've been doing this, and it's led, it's led to some pretty interesting things. And it's led me to want to grow in it even more. And like, I recently uh, uh, reached out to this a uh, pastor who was in a bad way. I uh, was having a hard time and I was able to like share this word I felt with him. He's like, this is the right thing at the right time. And I believe that, how are you? And I'm like, good. I, and I didn't have any pressure to give him any other information about my life. I was like, good, we're doing great. And I said, uh, yeah. like, I was just delivering the message. I don't have to do anything else. But uh, no, I do like him, he's very powerful too. But I didn't, I didn't feel like, I, the, he's such a powerful pastor that I was worried that if I did anything that I, would, I didn't want to get in the way of the messaging. So I just said what I needed to say, and I moved on. 
this other family was going, um, didn't know anything about it. This other family was going through a massive change uh, with someone's work. And I felt like I was supposed to call and pray for them, pray for them. They're like, you have no idea. He goes, this is why I love my charismatic friends. That's how he opened the sentence. <laughs> and like, it was, there was a massive issue in their household in terms of work and what was going on. And I got to pray for God's comfort and, and care and leadership in that moment. And then also, um, I get it wrong. Um, so earlier, earlier this week, um, Michael Bear had shared that he had been an uh, Eagles fan uh, from Philly. He had shared uh, that he's been going through some back pain that he's had for a bunch of years. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's pray for him. And he's like, okay, well, just give me a minute. Uh, and uh, the next day I was walking and I felt like I, I, felt like I had this word that, uh, that like maybe it had something to do with Michael on a boat, in particular a catamaran. And so I texted him, and so, <laughs> you can boo me for this one. Yeah, I know, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, Lord, we're getting, okay, yeah, we're growing. We're growing. And like, I share it, uh, I text him, I go, hey, does this mean anything about the boat? And he's like, a, like a catamaran? And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, well, are you, like, uh, did you ever have like a, a, did you ever like have a bad breakup on a boat? And he's like, nope. Had a lot of fun on boats, but that's never true. And then I have to pivot in the text message, and I'm like, well, just so you know, I love you, and I'm praying that God, you know, wants to do something with your pack. And I had to leave it. I was wrong. I was wrong. But wouldn't you, as you're trying to get on, like, what, like, what do you want to do with this? Like, I, that's what I've been saying to myself. What do you want to do with this? Do you want to be on the edge? You want to be on the edge of tippy-toeing to try to figure out if there's more to be learned when it comes to understanding God's voice? hearing from God. Uh, I'd rather be wrong. I'd rather take risks. I'd rather look like an idiot than not try and not push into this. And that's what I'm kind of encouraging here. What if we didn't have to do everything we thought we had to do? And what if God wanted to reveal more to us in the way we do it and who we do it with? That more and more we were looking less on like feeling obligated to like an idea and more obligated to paying attention to what the Spirit was doing in a given moment. I tell you what, it would make sense for the way we share faith, the way we share our life with Jesus, but even more importantly, I think it's going to make sense just for the way we operate our lives. Like, Lord, do I need to feel pressure uh, to do this thing or that thing? But that God would start to speak to us in ways that we are operating our lives where we keep in step with His Spirit. You don't have to do everything. You have to do what you see the Father doing. Wouldn't that be a much more exciting way to live? It will probably lead you to more risks. It'll probably lead you to more um, catamaran boat mistakes. But on the other side of that, your general average of seeing interesting things happen goes up too. And that's where I'd want to be. I just wonder, where would you be mentally? Where would you be emotionally? Where would you be spiritually if you were simply waiting and paying attention to see what the Spirit was up to? I, I do think it would be better for your walk with God for yourself, and I think it would be better in your walk with God as you share life with other people. Something that gives hope to the world. Why not feel it in a different way? So in the coming weeks, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be talking more about how do we learn to know what's God's voice, and how do we learn to know what's not God's voice? What, what is not God's voice? 
We need to grow in our discernment and we need to experiment and we need to push ourselves to see what might happen. And if we can grow and learn to recognize God's voice in a more powerful way and recognize when it's not and learn to walk in that, I think we should expect to see more of the things of God. I think we should expect to see more miracles happen on Sunday morning at this service. I imagine that you will find yourself at the right place, at the right time, at the right coffee shop, saying the right thing that you could have never planned. I think that you will find yourself in moments with people that you thought would never move forward with Jesus, suddenly moving forward with Jesus because you have bypassed their biases, the rational argument, and the Lord of heaven has given you something to say to them that is more powerful than you could have ever come up with in your own. We've got to move in this direction, guys. There's too, much, uh, there's too much brokenness and there's too much divisiveness in our country. There's too much debate about what's right and wrong, but there is a God who can just bypass all that and help your friends and your family come into life with Jesus and to help you know that he is with you and that he's for you and that he loves you. Amen? Why don't we all stand?